Hey everyone, this is Josh from the editing step of the process, and I just wanted to let you know from the top that we did experience some connectivity issues that result in some less than stellar audio quality in certain parts of the episode. I am doing my best to fix the areas I can, but there are some areas that are beyond my help in the limited capacity that I know how to fix things. So I hope you all enjoy the episode. I will... Uh, drop in a tag right before the big audio drop so that you are aware that things are going to be changing. And I hope that uh, it does not detract too much from your listening experience. We will do our best to return to a somewhat better audio quality with the next episode. And hopefully someday we can record in person again. Thanks. And welcome to episode 30 of Hello Fellow Kids. This we is... finally made it to 30. I've been saying it. Hasn't it been 30 for a while for the last like eight episodes? So it was cool I feel like I've been 30 for a very long time. I feel like a lady who keeps lying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 30. Isn't I'm 30. That, um... <laughs> is it Rachel that refuses to turn 30 on Friends? Probably. I think I think there's an episode all about that. And they use it as like a like a bottle episode where they just play flashback scenes because they couldn't afford an actual full new episode. Is that when the friends like were like, you need to pay us more money? And they're like, shit. Yeah. Okay. So for this month, uh, we did something a bit different. And instead of reading a book written for children, we read a book about books written for children. Which is actually basically what our podcast is. Right. <laughs> Like, uh, real children shouldn't listen to this. But. Right, but, like, real children shouldn't be really reading this book either. Nope. But it's called Paperback Crush by Gabrielle Moss, and Mara has an advanced reader's copy, and I have the actual retail copy, so we're gonna, it's, I don't think it's gonna matter that much, but she already did point out that uh, hers is just, like, cheapo paper, paper, and I have, like, nice glossy, but if there's any text differences, I don't know. Did Guess you, we'll did, find out. Was there anything where they just, like, had, like, a thing that was, like, I'll find a picture for this later or anything yep. like that? Yeah, that Sweet. happened uh, once. Sweet. But for the most part, uh, they got all the pictures in, which is good because the bulk of this is, like, covers of books. So it would have been uh, very sad to just, <laughs> you know, have squares like, something good will go here soon, I promise. Yeah, um... Mara is going to be, I mean, not only was it her turn to do the, like, the notes and everything anyways, but she's probably going to be taking the lead on this because I'm guessing she read or is aware of a lot more of these books and authors than I am. I came in pretty late on this timeline. Uh, there's a selected timeline of YA history right at the start, and I come in about two-thirds of the way through. I think this might be a little bit more of Mara's show, but I definitely have some notes, which it'll be kind of interesting, like, me being a little bit more of an outsider for some of these versus well, you maybe... being, like... Maybe you'll have some questions. Yeah. I'm willing to take questions. 
<laughs> I'm going to open it up now for questions. That's an off-topic question. That's not. You've been stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I will not go all Chris Christie on you, I promise. Okay. All right. So let's get this uh, show on the road. So we get an introduction. It says uh, teenagers as a concept are uh, relatively modern. And um, that age group being called teenagers uh, dates at post-World War II, you know, when they had the economic boom and people didn't have to grow up quite as fast. So that age group could just kind of dick around. Um, that's not even written in my notes. It's just me just off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, the kids of that time uh, read a lot of books about wholesome young people going on malt shop dates, which I think sounds terrible. And then young adults became like an official genre recognized by the Library Association and everything in 1966. And a year later, The Outsiders, uh, the book by S.E. Hinton, that's one of my favorites, came out and the trends changed to more like that, like grittier and more realistic writing. But this book isn't about that. We're going to be looking at the 80s. The 80s brought us the Sweet Valley Twins with their cheaply produced pastel covers. And then everyone jumped on the bandwagon with their own shallow, schmaltzy, soap opery teen books that everyone ate up with a spoon. Parents and educators, of course, hated these books. And then Harry Potter came along and changed everything, making people realize how lucrative the YA market can be. And cheap paperbacks have kind of disappeared from the YA teen market. Uh, the author points out the paperback boom was important because it showed that girls' stories uh, mattered. Are we ready to just move on to chapter one, or do you have anything to add to the introduction? Um, I did like I did like how she talked about kind of how she started on this project, which is that she basically just had like a major rut in her life, and she decided to just go on eBay and buy an entire crate of Sweet Valley High books as like kind of a nostalgia binge. But then as she was reading them, she started thinking about all this stuff, and then it says, after that first box, I picked up more and more tween series until I had so many that I could no longer play off my behavior as a joke <laughs> i for real i for real went through the same thing right in my life and i just dug out all of the babysitters club so i was just um, like are you are you me i have not gone out and done a purchase like that however one year for christmas my mom did buy me an entire crate just filled with archie comics uh, oh, that sounds fun. It was pretty fun. Uh, and then I, like... I, started, I, I realized how often they recycled, like, stories and stuff. <laughs> um, what do you mean? Like, it should always be a fresh topic. I mean, Archie's so innovative. <laughs> Listen, this time Jughead Sandwich doesn't have tomatoes. This time he goes on a date with Betty. Huh? Uh-huh. Got you there. <laughs> and you're like, okay, cool. Um, before before anyone gets mad, I do like the art. I liked Betty and Veronica's comics. I didn't get Archie. I liked Archie's comics, and I also like the um the recent uh, reboot of the comics. Like not like Riverdale edgy sort of thing, but the new one, the new ish one that keeps the spirit of the original Archie stories while still updating it and making it more modern. Um, I really enjoy those. Yeah, where where uh, Jughead's asexual, which explains a lot, and yeah. uh, like, hey, we can have a gay kid, and oh, hey, look, there's a girl who wears a hijab. That's not bad. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't try to make Archie skew towards really a different like sort of 
genre or style or anything. It still keeps with that kind of everyday high school mishaps and stuff while still being more inclusive and modern. And so I enjoy those. I do enjoy the Archie horror lines. Yeah, though. yeah, I do those have are the, really fun. the afterlife with Archie. I have one of those. There's Jughead the Hunger, where he's a werewolf, and there's uh, a Vampironica, which is really, really fun. I enjoy that one. And there's um, Blossom 666, where, like, the Blossom twins, Cheryl and whatever her dumb brother's name is, are, um, like, Antichrists or something. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Great stuff. Are we ready to move on to Chapter 1? Are we ready to All move right. on to the start of the book? Yes, I'm sorry. You want to move on to the book? <laughs> <laughs> chapter one. These are very skimpy notes, but I figured we'd just fill this in with discussion. Yeah. Because the, the book itself is very chatty in nature. Yeah, so... it's very chatty, and it also... It, do, it doesn't necessarily have that many points to make, more than just being like, here's a trend, and here are some of the books that did that trend. Yeah. Um, okay, so the first chapter is devoted to the staple of teen genre, romance. For the most part, uh, they were mostly hetero and white, but sometimes authors got away with something daring like Asian American or gay protags. Um, mostly diversity was provided by a token character, though. And mostly these romances were squeaky clean as well. Sexing was more common in the 70s because, of course, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I had. But you guys, you guys, you guys, some of these covers are amazing. If you haven't seen my Instagram, I posted a picture of one of the covers in particular <laughs> that, like, I laughed hysterically when I saw it. There's, there's like, this uh, book uh, series that I've never heard of called Wildfire, which was basically just, like, Harlequin romances for teenage girls. And there's a cover called Sing About Us, where the guy looks really old, and he's, like, crooning into a microphone. And the girl's kind of like, looks like she's trying to look polite, but is turning aside and laughing. And it just was an amazing poster. Oh, like, yeah. The uh, Sing About yeah. Us. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's really, <laughs> he's singing Don't Go Breaking My Heart, and he's singing both parts. <laughs> <laughs> he turns one direction when he's one voice and one direction when he's the other. <laughs> and I don't think he actually knows when Kiki D sings her part and when Elton sings his, so he's kind of like tries to do like a higher voice, but it's like on the wrong line. <laughs> this poor loser. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, the, and she has, um, she was able to put like little interviews in here with uh, different authors, and she talks to a few. Well, I think she probably just sent an email and they answered. I don't know. Like, some of them were like, oh, boy, I went to signings and I felt like a rock star and, like, all that, which was mm-hmm. kind of cute. But seriously, I haven't I, – I I didn't really read these ones. I think because they seemed to – oh, wait, I read Annie on my mind. I think, I think that was on also yeah, on my Yeah, that was on your list, list, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I, I recognize – like, as soon as I read the title, I was like, that sounds vaguely familiar. And then I started reading the description, and I was like – that's very familiar. <laughs> yeah, but for the most part, I didn't read these. Um, I think because they just dated themselves so fast. Like, right. Because uh, when you have like a, a drawn cover, you you, you kind of can um, suspend your disbelief a little bit. But so many of these covers used like photos of models of girls from that time. So you just be all like, oh, Jesus, you know? <laughs> yeah. Kinda, 
<laughs> weirded out by the hair and these like secretary type outfits they'd wear with like you know what I mean with like the the blouse buttoned all the way up the neck. <laughs> it has it to remain doesn't... chaste. Uh, but also, I mean, there's the cover for Love Comes to Anne where they're both wearing turtlenecks. So that one's pretty great. Um, and then there was a line here that I like. Was it the when word horndoggery? Talk- because this is the first book I've read that has the word horndoggery. That's pretty great. No, it's uh, the section titled The Last American Virgin. It begins, Before the golden age of YA, teens can learn about sex in precious few ways. Progressive parents, an older sibling or friend, the Canterbury Tales, a pile of waterlogged pornographic magazines found in the woods. And that's where I'm like, I'm going to stop you there. How did you know I had, that was how I found out about stuff? I didn't know that was a universal experience. Have we all found playboys in the woods? Wait, did you? Yeah, I did. Okay, I always thought that that was a thing that everybody else thought that everybody else experienced. No, I did not. No, everyone, like, anyone I've told that to, everyone, like, I found, like, a Playboy out in the woods, and I stuffed it. Uh, My friends were siblings. The boy was a little bit older. Well, I guess he was quite a bit older than me, but a little bit older than her, and she was, like, a year or two older than me. Anyway... But uh, we found it, and I, I was just like, oh, what is this? And and he's like, put it down, put it down, get rid of it. And I was just like, well, hold on. And, like, <laughs> me and his sister are looking through it. And then he's like, no, put it, put it. And, then I, and I stuffed it under my coat and then hastily rode my scooter back home to my mom and showed it to her. And she's like, put that in the garbage. <laughs> I did not. Other people had this happen. Was yeah, this like, apparently. Is this where teenage boys hit it? Cause I don't otherwise... know. I'm, now I feel like I missed out. Make more guy friends and find out. I guess it's a safe place to hide it because then your Snoopy mom isn't going to like, I was cleaning and look what I found. I want you to know that none of those girls did well in school and they all were abused and you should feel terrible looking at pictures of them. I also didn't have woods, so... That might have been my problem, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty key to finding playboys in the woods is to have a woods. <laughs> well, no, to have, go, a, to have go, a woods in. You go camping, like, all the time. You could have, like, you and your cousin could have been cruising through the woods and been all like, oh, we found a whole pile That's of That's true. The only interesting thing we found while cruising in the woods when camping, though, was that somebody had tied up sticks in a very Blair Witch stick figure-like fashion. And so we just noped back to the campsite. <laughs> I think everyone does that in the woods now, though. Not to shit on your experience. But I did find a Playboy in the woods, so that gives me some clout. Let's see. Oh, I did. I actually made a note very early on. I, I said if this author made video essays, I would binge them. I liked her her chatty style of, of yeah, talking. Yeah, this, this. Felt, this felt like a really good BuzzFeed article. Right, like a BuzzFeed article that someone actually cared about writing. Yeah, it, it wasn't just like a few lines of text with like gifs from New Girl in the office, you know? Like yeah. someone actually made some effort. Okay, uh, uh, do you have anything else to say about romance? I, I really don't, because I didn't read this particular kind. And um, they frequently, like I've been going to used bookstores my whole life, and there'd always be a box of these piled somewhere. And my mom would be like, oh, here's... Here's books for kid, you know, you, you know, you're reading chapter books. These are chapter books. And I'd look through them, go, nope. Right. The only thing that I was looking at was the um the, the part that's not actually the romance part, but I was looking at the the uh, interviews. I was seeing if there's anything in there uh, when they first broke into the market. 
And they talk, she talks to um, Caroline Cooney, who uh, will pop up again and again, because she's one of the ones that kind of weathered the storm of change through all of these uh, trends. And, yeah. Uh, like, she's still writing stuff, so. Uh, she and Arl Stein. Arl Stein wrote the romance also. Yeah, there was, like, there was, like, one other author through here that I was, like, not just recognized, but knew from other things that they had a career past this. I just want to point out that uh, the cover for domestic arrangements at the very end of the chapter is pretty, I mean, that's pretty racy for this age. She's, like, topless with her hair. Oh, no, that's her. one of the books from the 70s. I was, like, I was surprised. That's pretty par for the core for for 70s. And then yeah. they got super button-down blousey after that, where they like, whoops, America, America got conservative, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Okay, now we delve into the world of clubs. I thought for sure this is where we discussed the Babysitter's Club, so I turned every page expecting it, but no, it wasn't here, and it gave me literary blue balls. <laughs> and then I wrote, come on, just the tip. <laughs> okay. Um, club books have been around for over a hundred years, apparently, and mostly focused on hijinks. But during the 80s and 90s, things got a little heavier. Only a little, though. Uh, we had clubs for tormenting classmates, uh, thirsting after weak male leads, if the covers are anything to go by, a variety of sports, and even a couple of African-American-based series that actually covered real problems. Hence, I remember neither of them. These uh, club books, these always ended up in the used bookstores mm -hmm. <laughs> like you'd be like don't they have any babysitters club they're like we have friends forever like mm. i think these would have been like if these were my options for reading where all of the books in here i think the club and the camp-esque ones would be the ones i would probably gravitate towards um because i i like ones that have like the conceit of why they're together and stuff and why they always end up having like specific roles of like the bookish one and the cheerleader and the black one. <laughs> oh, summer camp. This is one of the, like, uh, pen pal ones. It says midway through the series, the character Molly moves back, but all of the friends forever keep writing each other letters, even though they live in the same town and see each other all the time. Perhaps their true best friend was adhering to organizational protocol at all costs. And I was like, fair. My friends and I wrote letters to each other all the time. Yeah. It wasn't like post it in the mail. You'd fold it up and then like give it to your bud when you showed up at school. It was mostly yeah. like, it was mostly just all like, do you think so-and-so's a bitch? One of these books, uh, The Pink Parrots about the girls playing baseball. I got uh -huh. that from a value village in 91, I think. Yeah. So I was just all like, I remember that. I had that book forever. Uh, I think it, I finally gave it away or something. I don't think I still have it. Yeah, most of these clubs, I was just all like, that's just a ripoff of Babysitter's Club. These aren't very, very good, so I was uh, kind of a smart <laughs> about them. There was one book series I actually did like a lot that she didn't feature in here that was about club or sports, a sports uh -huh. club. <laughs> it was called Silver Blades, and it was about girls who figure skated and co like competed in figure skating competitions. competitions. But I remember really liking it because during the early, to maybe to 95, uh, figure skating was very popular and now it's sneered at and I don't think that's fair it, at that time it was like a really cool sport and everyone cared and you knew who all the skaters were and it was awesome Although they were the horse girls too they were weird sorry if you were a horse girl 
Uh, I was not a horse girl, and I'm not sure I have ever understood horse girls. I don't. It's not one of the things I get. That's okay. A, I've, I've learned that there are a few things that are apparently very common that I don't understand. Horse girls is one of them. Foot fetishes is another. And finding okay. playboys in the woods. Yeah, I just... <laughs> <laughs> the trifecta of universal experiences, apparently. That I am sitting outside of. I saw a tweet that I thought was funny that said, car guys are the male equivalent of horse girl. And I was like, that's totally fair. Because <laughs> it's like, wow, you're really overly into this and you've kind of made it your personality. Okay, I'm going to back away from you now. Right. Oh, friggin' um, Gordon Corman was in this section. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your he buddy. Wasn't that one books. of the camp stories? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way, way before I found him, but yeah. Oh, I do have some notes later on, but I really quickly before I skip to that, uh, this doesn't have this doesn't have any sort of real context that matters. But there is a note here that says a book can be culturally pioneering and also not very good at the same time, and yeah. uh, I I think that's important. And it it kind of goes along. It touches on something that we brought up in the last episode with Children of Blood and Bone is the idea that like. This is in no way saying that Children of Blood and Bone is a bad book, but we talked about the idea of, like, you don't need to have, like, the one book that does all of the things for a group or something like that. Um, you can have books that are, that move things forward that aren't, that, that still fall short in other ways, but they are still advancing things. And so a lot of the books in here are advancing what stories for this age group and the these sorts of people can be, while also oftentimes kind of being schlocky and not great. Uh, <laughs> but it's still it's still an important movement, and you shouldn't you shouldn't disparage it just because some of the individual books aren't great, because as a whole they are they're moving the the needle towards where we want to be. All right, here it comes. I remember. I think I told you this book. Or I don't know if it was on the podcast, but when I started middle school, um, I think that's when they were uh, introducing the AR testing and, you know, they, and they were telling us like what books we could and couldn't read. Uh, so we were all like sitting in the library and the librarian's like lecturing us on uh, picking a book wisely. And she's like, so I don't want to see any Sweet Valley Twins and no Hank the Cow Dog. And I remember oh. laughing, and I remember laughing because I'd never heard of Hank the Cow Dog, so I thought she'd made it up. I was like, it's weird that she threw in a real thing with a fake thing, and she made that up real fast. <laughs> like, what the hell is a cow dog? <laughs> you know? Dude, I and love then, Hank the Cow Dog. So I thought it was made up until I started going to our school and then saw the books and was like, oh, that's Hank the Cow Dog. <laughs> it exists. Hank the Cow Dog was definitely one of the series that I read a good bit of. She should do a follow-up series, or she should find somebody that has a similar, like, voice, but is is a little further along the timeline to talk about some of those, because uh, there was definitely some stuff that was before they decided that because of Harry Potter, everything needed to, to be, like, 500 pages long that I remember really enjoying. Yeah, it could be a spinoff series called Frank the Cow Chicken. Oh, uh, Walter Dean Myers also gets name-dropped in here, and he's one yeah. that I have read a few books by. He's good. Yeah. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he's really he his writing's really good. His stuff's pretty solid, and if you're trying to find something not white, then it's like okay, here's something, so we can actually get some 
you know, something that isn't just Jen and Jess are having a hard time with their, I don't know, math class. Right. Like, which a lot of these books were. But I would, I read, I read them be all like, I'm having trouble with my math class too. Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of this is, is just like, what are things that kids actually experience? Not what we think that they've been experiencing for the last like 70 years. Uh, <clears throat> oh, this is, what book is this for? You've been away all summer. Uh, it just, is she, quotes from the book that and i almost i think i laughed out loud when i read it the first time uh it says uh, you've been away all summer a surprisingly sophisticated story about evolving relationships sarah and fran have been best friends since first grade up until then in nursery school and kindergarten we traveled in different crowds <laughs> she but was more that... of a blocks girl and i was always a finger painter no, that brought up like a legit point though, because I remember those times when you were a kid where your friend would make another friend, and that friend usually sucked, and you'd just be like, why do we have to hang out with this asshole? And then you kind of feel yourself getting phased out. Maybe yeah. that happened more with girls. I don't know. I mean, I guess I, w- I was always, I was always ancillary for most of my groups until middle school anyways. So in elementary school, I think I mentioned this before, in elementary school, I was in a program where it was a public school, but there was one classroom in each grade that was a co-op, so the parents would come in and stuff, and the kids that were in that program would end up basically staying in the same class with each other all the way up K through 5, because they were staying in the program, and so that was most of my social interaction, and there were only, like, nine guys in the group, and, you know, half a little more than half of them were more of the sporty sort of guys, and then the other half were the not. Um, <laughs> and so I would try to be friends with everybody just because, you know, it's it's the same 25 kids for six years. I'm going to, I, they're the ones I'm going to socialize with. But I, I definitely recall knowing that even though we were all part of the same larger, like, classroom group, I definitely wasn't really part of their group, even when I did get picked only second to last in kickball. I did actually, I frequently get picked last in kickball, and I, um, I think, I think back then I was like, I was like, yeah, fair, I don't even know which direction to run on the bases, I'm just here to have a good time. I would get picked last as well, but in fifth grade, we played kickball, like, at the, PE was the end of the day, and we played kickball every single day, and I think that's horrible, and I think every teacher who's made their students do that is going to hell, but, um, she, she, she the the female teacher we had was a, an exchange teacher from Australia, so we only had her for a semester. Then she went back to Australia, and then the American guy came back, and he was the worst. But she was cool, and I think she'd see like towards the end that we we're getting to like a handful of people. So she, I think she thought, let's not traumatize them. So she goes, okay, you have to go to that team, you have to go to that team. So no one had to be the one who got picked last. So that, oh, okay. Yeah, that's how she handled it. Isn't she nice? What a nice yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Mrs. Ward, I really liked you. You were a good teacher. Can we move on to the next chapter? I don't have anything else to say about these uh, books. I also don't have anything else to say. Oh, wait, I think I do have something where there was the book about, like, the slam book. Okay, yeah. And at this point, the call dropped completely, so we had to start a new recording, which is going to account for some of the audio changes here. We did miss the small portion where Mara explains what a slam book is. Basically, it is a communal notebook where uh, gossip and insults are written down about various members of a class or school. And go.
But um, that was another thing that showed up in like TV and movies that we never actually experienced. And I want to know how universal that is, actually. But I'm sure it didn't happen with you. It definitely did not happen with me. I, I'm aware right. of it only from media. Same, yeah. And I, I was positing the theory that the popular crowd at my school were so insulated amongst themselves and just didn't care about the rest of us. So they wouldn't have started that. I bet if anyone had tried to, it would have been the lame, losery girls who read these kinds of books and were like, we should do that, too. Right. Everyone else was like, I'm not writing that. That's dumb. Right. Because like if if the popular kids wrote a slam book and you ended up in it, that means that you were even on their radar, which you probably weren't. Right. Yeah. So that's my theory for why it never happened. Other than it just seems like a really crummy idea. I mean, it just se- it just seems Not like a bad idea like to leave a paper trail. Oh, yeah, you don't leave evidence. Holy crap. All right, do we want to talk about Chapter 3 now? Let's talk about some family. Family book. In the family books, there's tales of divorced parents, clueless parents, and toxic shitty parents. Fun! Then we segue to siblings, and here we are, folks. Here's where we discuss Sweet Valley. Elizabeth and Jessica Wakefield with their size sixes and boyfriend stealing and all that jazz. Those books were such trash, but I'd happily read one right now if you handed it to me. There was a series about redheaded twins and cousins, but who gives a shit, right? Right. So that's where I left off. (laughs) These were very skimpy notes because I didn't really have much to go on. Right. Like, there's not much to say besides this section was about family. Here are some books about family. Uh, I have written. In yeah, my no- I have written um, in my notes here that uh, Reagan sucked. I don't know if that was really in conjunction with anything, but Reagan sucked. He did. I thought "Goodbye Pink Pig" sounded really, really sad. And we talk a lot about Judy Bloom, where I didn't. I didn't read any of Judy Bloom's teen books. I only read the Fudge books. The Fudge books are fun. I, yeah, I enjoy the Fudge them. books are fun. Um, I think my mom might have had the Judy Bloom diary. Because <laughs> she showed me her diary from high school one time, and I think it might have been the Judy Bloom diary that she wrote it in. Uh, I just want to say, I think the best title for anything other is Boys Are Yucko. I mean, they are, so... I'm disappointed in the cover, though. Like, the font yeah, is, it's... like, goofily in a corner, and then the guy's not even doing anything particularly yucko. Like there should, she looks she looks kind of like she's into it, to be honest. She gets to touch his hand. Yeah. But everybody's boy crazy except Cassie. And I love the lady's middle name is Gross Nickel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, question. How come by the time we get to Sweet Valley High number 82, someone's getting kidnapped by a cult? Like, what is this series? Oh, Josh, it's Bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Um, I didn't even read the Sweet Valley High. I read Sweet Valley Twins, which was the spinoff where they're middle school. But that took off pretty well, and it went for, like, lots and lots of... It went on for so long that Amanda Seyfried, that actress, was uh, a model to, for the twins. And I think I might have one of the... I might have had one of the books that has her on the cover, because I remember thinking, she looks really familiar. Yeah. Did you have, oh, you wouldn't have watched, there was a TV show called Sweet Valley High that I remember I watched and enjoyed a bit. I don't even know if I really knew what Sweet Valley High was until I met you. <laughs> I was... actually, 
I had a picture in my locker at school. I had a picture from one of their covers because I thought it was so funny. <laughs> and I love that the author never actually wrote one of the books. She just was like, came up with the idea in like a couple of like plots and was like, have at it, the ghostwriters. Right. <laughs> And so I was like, I wish everything could be that way. Dude, I wish I could get paid to, like, if I could get paid to come up with ideas, I could do that, no problem. I could be James Patterson. I can think of a concept and hand it to someone. Did you ever see the movie Young Adult? It has Charlize Theron in it. It It's written by Dakota, no, Diablo Cody. I have not. Uh, Pat Oswalt's in it as well. Um, In it, Charlize plays one of the ghostwriters for 18 series that kind of sounds like gossip girl and there's a scene where she's in a bookstore and she's like i wrote this do you want me to sign it to the employee and the boy's like you're mildred so-and-so you know for the author and she's like right. well no but i wrote this book I'm, you know she doesn't actually exist i'm a ghostwriter and he's like please don't please don't ruin that book or we'll have to make you pay for it and he's kind of a bitch yeah i just suddenly thought of that right now when we we're talking about ghostwriters i recommend that movie if anybody wants to see it I'm trying to think of which books I would have read that were, like, ghost-written series. I read a couple of the Hardy Boys. Yeah, uh, I was just about to say, like, you must have read a Hardy Boy at some point. I read, yeah, I did at some point read a Hardy Boy. Um, <laughs> there's a uh, there's a series of young Jack Sparrow novels that actually are pretty fun, and some of those are, I believe the ghostwriter for some of those is actually... Uh, What's her name? Sutherland, the woman who writes the, uh... Chewy uh, Sutherland? Yeah, the Wings of Fire. Right. That's about it. I Oh, I mean, I read, I did read a ton of uh, Boxcar Children indiscriminately. I'm sure a bunch there you of them go. were by there you go. the Dead Warner. Did you ever read... Oh, crap. The Warrior Cats. I that, did that not. Series? I bought oh. the first one when it was, like, new, and then it sat on my shelf for a couple of years, and then I was like, I don't care, and these names are dumb, and then I got rid of it. <laughs> When I hear about Warrior Castle, I always think of um, the Griffin brothers. The McElroys, yeah. Finding a yacht. Did I just say the Griffin brothers? Yeah. yeah. Griffin McElroy, uh, he, uh, he, uh, Bramble himself. Pelt. He, yeah, where, where they find a Yahoo question for how to name your Warrior Cat, and then they're like rattling off the names and they're all laughing so hard they're crying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to have more to say until we get closer to the end of the book, because we'll get to the stuff that I was into. Yeah, I mean, next is school. So let's move on to Squala. Chapter 4. The 80s and 90s mostly showed that schools were safe and that all the teachers and staff meant best. Oh, boy. So, we got lots of stories about running for the student council and various class projects. They could get real once in a while, though, with stories about learning disabilities and drunk driving accidents. Mostly, though, we looked forward to the college books for the hardcore sex. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> uh, um, well, I mean, you know, that's what the locket is for, right? Yeah, it's your virginity. Don't open your locket, you whore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got to open my locket and stick a boy in there. Gross. Um, uh, the note I have here at the very start is, um, I think, oh, I think she's just talking about some of the characters and stuff, and, and there's a quote on one of the books that says, a vacation trip through France and Spain for amusement and instruction with their haps and mishaps, and then in parentheses she writes, haps! And then I wrote, I wrote, did Mara secretly write this? (laughs) 
That didn't that did feel very me when I read that bit. I was like, Haps. Haps. Uh, but we did finally get to a book I did read. <laughs> uh, the Sixth Grade Can Really Kill You. I read uh-huh. that one. The girl spray paints school makes me puke on the wall, but she spells puke wrong because she has a learning disability. And so they're trying to track down who actually did it. And um, they make everybody write, I want you all to write down school makes me puke. And she like peeks at her front paper to put the E at the end of puke because she spelled puke that way p-u-k that's mostly what i yeah that's mostly what i remember of that book actually when you said that that kind of gave me like flashback vibes but i think i read a different book that it didn't have the misspelling conceit but i think there was something about like having people write something on the wall to like judge the handwriting um Mm. yeah she she felt pretty cool about it about doing it until like Someone came in going, school makes me puck, and they're, like, laughing about it. And she's like, this had the opposite effect I wanted. Right. <laughs> um, there's a shout-out in here to Mara Wilson. Yeah. Uh, who is, uh, she is a writer, but also as a child, she was the actress who played Matilda. And uh, more recently, she is uh, the voice of Welcome to Night Vale's faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home. She's pretty awesome. She is my name twin. She is always who I've pointed to when people are like, Mara's not a real name. I go, her name's Mara. Riddle me that. <laughs> the, this book called Sex Education by Jenny Davis. Right, I, yeah. What? Yeah. What? What? Yeah. Let me talk about they, this. So it's a guy, uh, like a, like two ninth graders who they end up assigned to care for, in quotes, a young pregnant woman who recently moved to the neighborhood with her husband. And it's, you know, it starts out about them, like, getting to know each other and stuff. And that says, but this warm fuzziness is short-lived. It turns out that Maggie is troubled because her husband is physically abusing her. And when David and Olivia try to get Maggie and her new baby to safety, Maggie's husband pushes David down the front stairs, killing him instantly. Olivia becomes catatonically depressed for six months. Maggie refuses to testify against her husband. And he's out of jail before a year is up. Holy... Francis, that is dark. I think even back then, if you killed a kid, you'd be in jail for a lot longer than a year. Don't you think? Right? Even if it's self-defense. Like, what the heck? Yeah, and also, what do you mean care for? Why are these children being social workers? Right? This isn't an appropriate project. (laughs) There's the cover that looks like a friggin' Picasso painting, and then the other one looks like they just pass each other notes in class. Uh, Actually, I would argue that that one looks more like they're in the middle of a music video where she's going to turn and look over one shoulder and then he's going to switch to the other shoulder and they're going to be like singing a duet together while he does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She takes two steps forward. I take two steps back. (laughs) Yeah, that's totally what it looks like. uh, I think they did that in Grease, too. Uh, Grease as well, not in the film Grease, too. The last thing that I do want to mention is that... uh, I guess the Sweet Valley twins go to college, and the series is called Sweet Valley University, or SVU, and now I want Law & Order SVU, but it's actually Sweet Valley. <laughs> and there's this guy on the cover of the book who kind of looks like Chris Evans for Reality 101. He's Chris Evans adjacent. <laughs> on, on the Sweet Valley University, those are clearly not twins. They don't look the same. 
They're both blonde girls, but I don't think they look identical. That's good enough, right? Yeah. They're just, they're, you know, they have, they're blonde, they have bangs. What do you mean? Their, their shirt kind of overlap the words. Sweet Wheat Valley Alley. Welcome to Sweet Wheat Valley Alley. <laughs> okay. Jobs? Let's move on. Jobs. And we finally hear about the Babysitter's Club, my favorite YA series of all time, right after Nancy Drew. Speaking of Nancy Drew, she's in this chapter as well, along with other teen detectives who didn't stand the test of time. Sucks to suck. I love to find these other books that sound amazing, like teens working as doctors because there's a shortage due to a super virus. Not at all relevant right now. <laughs> uh, soap opera stars, beauty queens, and literal angels led by James Dean who need to do good deeds to earn their wings. What? What? There's also other babysitters, baristas, country music singers, and sitcom stars, but who cares, honestly? I want to go back and just read you guys about the Teen Angels, because I nearly, I nearly had an aneurysm. I'm like, what is... Okay, I was like, I screamed what out loud for real. Okay. One job in 80s teen fiction is far grimmer than camp counselor, barista, or shopping mall sandwich artist. I speak naturally of the position of Teen Angel. And Sherry Bennett's Teen Angel series, which ran for six volumes in 1996, Angel was not a metaphor. These girls were dead. One of them overdosed on pills because she was upset about the SATs. They reside in Teen Heaven, a netherworld limbo overseen by, I kid you not, James Dean, who makes them go to Teen Heaven High and take jobs on Earth that will allow them to perform good deeds. <laughs> They need to reboot this. They need to reboot this. I want this so badly. Yeah, that's, yeah. The one original idea in all of this, I actually sat up and was like, what? Oh, but just execute it better, I guess. I don't know, gritty reboot, you think? (laughs) 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 Led by James. (laughs) Oh, God. I laughed so hard I got lightheaded. Uh, But I also love the complete dumb idea of like teens being made doctors it's like doogie only was one because he like graduated college yeah i was gonna say was wasn't he a prodigy yeah it's it not because like, there was oh, a shortage yeah, we got a staff shortage Can- what are we what? so we're, we're having a problem we don't have enough doctors so what should we get a nurses b med students c uh veterinary doctors right. or d children I think children's a solid option. Um, they're trainable <laughs> and uh, they're always willing to learn. They're never dishonest. We acknowledge at one point in here that um, New York is a personality type. Yeah. Uh, and yes. everybody knows at least one person whose type is New York. Oh. Let me the- tell you all about when I was in New York. So when I lived in New York, one time in New York. See, back in New York, what we do is. Um, okay, so we finally get to babysitting, and I was really super stoked, but they have that uh, book on here that says babysitting is a dangerous job, and it looks like the bleakest thing in the world. It, I'm like, are they in Anne Frank's attic? What's happening? They are, it, they're just standing in an attic. Yeah, looking, like, traumatized. Especially the, the little girl that's, like, leaning into the babysitter, like, what is, she's seen some stuff. Well, that littlest one has that. He poured glue on all of us. Look. <laughs> <laughs> the thousand yard baddie stare. 
Yes. And then I think the boy just finished eating some chocolate and still has some left on his fingers. I'm not sure he knows what's going on. No, no idea. He just came in like, okay, that was a really good snack. What's up? Um, um, yes, I was going to change the subject to Babysitter's Club. Did you want to talk more about the dangerous job? No, I want to talk about the Babysitter's Club. That awesome. Was okay, was that was, I was, I was buying, like, I remember my mom buying me a box set of them at the Scholastic Book Fair at my school. And have you, I've tried to Google this. Like, if you can go to the Scholastic Book Fair if you don't have a child. Do you we think talked be about allowed this or before. We were, I think we had to figure out some sort of, like, alternate method to get in because I don't think we can. But I don't know if we, like, explicitly can't either. I mean, obviously right now we can't. No, because nothing like that's going to be going on. But um, how hard are they watching at the door to make sure you come in with a child? I'm pretty non-threatening. So, like, my plan, I've told this plan to, like, several people. But, like, I just get some lame, like, mommy outfit from Kohl's. Maybe pick up, like, a coach bag from the outlet mall. And try to pin my hair up as best I can in a Karen style. And then sneak in and then just stand there, walk around going, Aiden, Aiden, what do you think? Aiden, look, it's Magic Treehouse. You used to like, which one do you need? Bad book four, didn't you? Aiden, Aiden, you know, just. <laughs> you already have that one at your dad's. I'm not. Nope. You have enough. You, look, you, you read the wimpy kid too fast. We need to get something bigger for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can just go, keep going with this character forever. And then just, if someone looks at me, go like, hey, how you doing? And like, keep walking and going, Aiden. <laughs> and then maybe like, get my phone out and just kind of argue the phone. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to get him to pick something up, but he keeps looking at the most ridiculous stuff. He keeps looking at coloring books. I mean, he's, he's eight. He doesn't need coloring books. <sighs> anyway, Babysitter's Club was my absolute favorite. And Marianne Spear was my favorite of all the babysitters. She was like the shy one with the strict dad that forced her to dress like a sister wife. That was such a funny quote. <laughs> it, it says here that almost all of us can identify which babysitter we are, but I would like to know which one I am, Mara. Okay. I didn't read enough. Um, let me think. I think you're the Dawn. She's the environment. You, you once interrupted a, a meeting at school to spend 10 minutes saving a spider from behind a shelf so you're the dawn <laughs> most likely to not only have gone to burning man but to claim that she has a playa name i didn't know what that meant, what that meant. i'm gonna guess it's just some nice wholesome cultural appropriation that's totally dawn's vibe yeah <laughs> can i be dawn without that part i hope sure Cool. It depends on who's writing the ghost writing book this ah, week, Josh. Gotcha. Yeah, their 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 personalities kind of shifted a little bit depending on what we needed the plot to do and who was writing. Makes sense. Yeah, but I loved the shit out of these books. I kind of tapped out around like close to forty is when I was I if I got older and was like ah, I don't really want to read these anymore. Yeah. But it was a great run. They had a TV series that had the best theme song in the whole entire world. Go look it up if you don't believe me. And not this new crap on Netflix where they like make it look cooler than it was. That TV series, the original TV series, The Babysitter's Club, looked just as G-rated and lame as the books. Damn it. It was perfect. I also enjoyed the film that, uh, who had, who's the biggest star in it, really? 
I don't think any. I guess the biggest one was the girl who played Alex Mack. She she was Dude, in it. I loved Alex Mack. Yeah, Larissa Olenek. She was in it playing Dawn. And kind of miscast, but, you know, whatever. They needed... Oh, Rachel Lee Cook was in it. She played Marianne. And that's kind of it for big names. Um, Sissy SpaceX Daughter was in it. Kind of it for babysitters. And I love... I fucking love this line. Talking about Mallory Pike. Where, uh, best friends with Jesse. Has a ton of siblings. Character about whom Anna Martin once said she had no strong feelings <laughs> regarding her post-PSC existence. <laughs> And it, it's totally true because Mallory was the fucking butt monkey of the ser- She got mono. She was horribly bullied to the point where she just left school and she was sent to like a uh, boarding school because that's where you go to escape bullying, right? Because people aren't weird and bu- bullies at boarding schools, right? <laughs> yeah, she just was so I was just like, wow, this character is such a bummer. You know, when I read it when I was a kid. <laughs> when I, when I read that line, when I read that line, the first thing that popped into my head was Lucille, Lucille being Luke. like, "I love all my characters equally." Ten minutes later, I don't really care for Mallory. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I knew it!" When I read that line, yeah, Babysitters Club was my. Oh, and they also, um, Gabrielle Moss brings it up. I think earlier in the book that they released dolls, Babysitters mm-hmm. Club. And uh, she said they were more like close to American Girl in quality, and that's true. They were, but they were kind of skinnier and taller. And I had Dawn. <laughs> Everything kind of comes back to Dawn, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I had Dawn, and my friend had Christy, and then she was jealous that I had Dawn, and I was like, "You could have picked out the one you wanted. Why are you? Why are you being so rude to me?" And they came with like little miniature book which was really just a pamphlet it was like you know the stapled folded over paper like here's a book that was just like a lame little story that went with your doll but i think i still have my dawn doll somewhere i don't know so that that just overshadowed it for me i did make fun of this girl's booty in my head at camp girl meets boy because the way she's standing it looks like she's trying to make herself have more of an act it's on page 164 oh yeah (laughs) like by Carolyn B. Cooney. It looks like there's like a older boy counselor. She's like trying to get the eye off. I'm like, look at this baby's got back. <laughs> I really did enjoy this book. I wish there was more for me to say, but it's mostly just like, look at that. I like that. Look at that. I like that. Yeah. Oh, it's shit. Like- how, how about Isla Fisher? Apparently, ghost wrote a TV series. I have notes about that. Yep, yeah. I do. Because yeah. what? I was like, it can't be the same Isla Fisher. It is indeed. I like Isla Fisher. I like I like her now as opposed to what she was like here. <laughs> like I mean, the I, letter from Isla. <laughs> I hadn't really heard of her until I think the first thing I saw her in was uh, "Now You See Me" with uh, Jesse Eisenberg, the the magician one. Um, and I saw a couple other things that she's in. She's pretty good. Josh, I want you to stop lying. I know that you've just watched the Shopaholic movie over and over. <laughs> Admit it. No one's going to think badly of you. Your taste is your taste. Um, is she still married to What's-His-Face? I think so. Sasha Barracone. Yeah, that's it. My brain was like, Bruno, Borat. I'm like, yeah, that's what he's played. That's not who he is. The letter that she writes at the end of the book just sounded really inane and insipid, and I just got embarrassed reading it. And I love that <laughs> it's in a Comic Sans font. 
Uh, it's a, oh, let me just read what she says about it. Um, the letter from Isla at the book's end, which is published in a weird Comic Sans-esque font evocative of handwriting to suggest how close you and Isla have become over the course of the book. In fact, you guys are now so close that Isla's become kind of emotionally needy. Did you like it? She demands to know. She then chattily admits that her mom did most of the writing because she was busy with her soap opera. She then promises a future novel about separated at birth twins, which doesn't seem to have ever been published, and goes on to note that ballet is about as glamorous as working on a TV soap. Not O to be 17 and on a TV soap in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> like, the only thing that could have made it better if instead of not, she said psych, but people weren't saying psych that late into the 90s. I know, because oh, I, crap. I was there. saying it. <laughs> what do you mean, Dill? Josh, you would have been like two at the time of this. <laughs> no, wait, um, four. <laughs> uh, I was just kidding. Psych. Psych. No, that's kind of come back. People say psych now, and I go like, ah. I remember when we used to say it. It used to be in commercials, and also it was always like a really cool zinger in like a movie meant for children, uh, like um, Three Ninjas. If none of you have seen Three Ninjas, go find it. It's got to be streaming somewhere. It's so old and such a piece of crap. But it's just a perfect nugget of what the early 90s was like to grow up in. <laughs> it's like all the clothing is exactly what the kids looked like. And it's just go watch Three Ninjas. <laughs> you can hear the language for yourself. And hearing people say radical and they're not being ironic or old like me because I still say things are rad. <laughs> I only have one other thing for this section, really, which is uh, a couple years ago, I read a teen novel called My Fair Lady, but it's fair, F-A-I-R-E, and it's about I remember a girl that. who... Yeah, it's about a girl who goes and works at a Ren Fair, um, and I, I thought it was really cool until it turned into a super generic romance about two-thirds of the way through, but up until then, I liked getting to, like, see behind the scenes of all of that, but it reminded me of, like, somebody who would have read these books about, like you know, first jobs and stuff like that. And she was like, well, I mean, no one's written one about a Ren fair. Let me try. It was fun. It was a little disappointing in uh, in some parts, but it was fun. Uh, that's all that it just reminded me of that. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Blossom Elfman. I learned about that. Yeah, yeah. Danny Elfman's mom wrote a YA book. And um, is Jenna Elfman his niece? Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah. I guess there's a whole... I didn't realize that there was, like, a whole Elfman village. Where they just do random stuff. Like, I'm going to be in Dharma and Greg, and I'm going to read the, write this weird kid book, <laughs> and I'm going to make dun -dun 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 weird music. <laughs> I like Danny Elfman's music. Don't come... Uh. Alright, um, chapter six? Yeah. Danger! Now we're getting close to the books that I was super into. I didn't, like, just your normie average like oh we have to go to school and it's gonna be show and tell day and i'm not ready for that you know that i'm not here for that crap i was ready here for this the danger tragedy taboo topics and other tough stuff the chapters dedicated to the teens in trouble genre the 80s had lots of stranger danger and high profile kidnappings so the lit literature of the time reflects that also big in the 80s drug fear mongering so let's have a few books about that Sprinkle in some stalkers, incest, sexual violence, and abortions, and we have a chapter that made Mara feel sick from stress. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, I was just like, oh, I don't like any of this. This is too much. Speaking of sick, 
Berlene McDaniel and all her exploitative dying girl porn features prominently here. No thanks. What else do we have for us? Eating disorders and AIDS? Ugh, next chapter, please. <laughs> is she the one that is quote-unquote anonymous? No, that's Beatrice Sparks. Beatrice okay. Sparks is anonymous, and she wrote Go Ask Alice in Jay's yeah. journal. Even though you can read Go Ask Alice, and I knew instantly, like, mm, a kid didn't write this. This is right. not an adult wrote this. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like these books from the 70s were really intense. So if I'm like, oh, that's a really intense plotline, they're like, yeah, this is from 1978. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> like, that was a crazy time. All right. I'm going to throw out what I think is the most I'm sorry you what section of the entire book, which is uh, when talking about Linda Glovak, her novel Beauty Queen, uh, which is apparently very similar to Go Ask Alice in regards to like, you know, drug use and stuff like that. But it says that the author wrote on the back cover that writing the book, I saw my old dope dealer and bought $1,500 worth of pure heroin, brown gold and started shooting up. 10 times a day to get the feel of the book, but I'm off it for good. That's a heck of a way to method write. Also, like, don't do that. <laughs> and I like that they wrote that, like, because it's the book on birthday, that finally we, like, before, like, um, abortions had been written about in uh, teen books, but it always felt like a punishment towards the girl. Like, that's what you get. You right. thought, you know, when they, when they do that. But then this one, it's more like, what is it called? On birthday. I think beginners love where they're just like, okay, um, this happened. You know, this is a choice I'm making. And we're going forward. And it just felt like nice and not judgy. Yeah. I was feeling better because this chapter had me pretty tense. I had a friend who was so into those Lurleen McDaniel books. I was like, doesn't the girl die like every time? She's like, yeah. I'm like, ugh. I remember flipping through it and like the girl's like, my beautiful red hair is falling out because of the treatments. And that was what she was upset about. I was like, I think you should be feeling kind of because you're, you've just had radiation treatment. So you should just be like, ugh, you know, and maybe don't give a shit about the hair right now. Right. So I, yeah. you could feel the disdain dripping off the page when Gabrielle Moss writes about early McDaniel's books. So I felt very uh, validated and seen by that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a similar feel. Like, I was talking with uh, some family friends last year about because they were talking about like all these movies and stuff that they love because it makes them cry and stuff. And I, the, the movies that they were talking about were the ones where it's like it's advertised. It's like go in to cry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's like I just, I just feel like you know some stuff like that, and I feel like the, um, you just said her name, Lauren McDaniel's. Um, it's kind of the same thing. It's like. It's not really emotional because it actually invoked a legitimate emotion in you. It's just like, how do I manipulate your feelings? I feel very justified in describing it as I did just now by calling it dying girl porn. Pretty icky. Um, but at least that was the memory I actually had of something. <laughs> right. Um, the book in here that I like, not that I read it, but you it just, seems like this yeah. author, uh, Norma Klein, seems like she has a has a pretty good head on her shoulders because she writes a book about a 17-year-old who becomes a single dad oh. and, like, actually oh. is, like, a decent a decent dad. And, like, it's not all about, like, being miserable and stuff. It's like, it's like well, this is life. Let's make the best of it. And then she's also the one who wrote the, the abortion one that you're talking about where it's not a punishment. It's just, nice. it's a choice that is made. And it's like, she seems like... She seems like one of the better writers for that era. Definitely more sympathetic to teenagers and yeah. considers them like people. 
Yeah. Yeah. I approve. Uh, God. And this was all before, like, 16 and Pregnant, like, you know, TV shows. <laughs> the last thing for this section that I would like to say is this quote about Judy Bloom saying that she wrote forever after her daughter asked for a story about two nice kids who have sex without either of them having to die. Right. Like, way, way to call out the industry. Good job. <laughs> Good job, Judy Bloom Jr. <laughs> Whatever the person's name Junior was. Junior Bloom. Junior Bloom. <laughs> oh, God. I love that um, not every, it says, luckily not every YA book about abortion from that time reads like an entry in Mike Pence's dream journal. I was like, <laughs> she came for him. She came for his whole family. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right last interruption i promise this is where we cut for the evening we didn't intend to cut but we could not reconnect so what follows next happened the next day and you will notice that the audio quality is suddenly much better sorry so here we are at chapter seven which is where Mara's gonna wake up and be more alert and with it because this was my genre. Um, chapter seven is the horror, horror and terror. <laughs> so we've saved the best for last. The teen horror novels I greedily consumed from the ages of 11 to 14. Um, Gabrielle Moss starts us off with ghosts and name drops our girl, Mary Downing Hahn and her best book ever. Wait till Helen comes. Uh, in addition to spooky ghosts is uh, horny ghosts because of course, and then we segue to Slashers and Stalkers, which is where we meet up with my old homie R.L. Stein on Fear Street. Uh, the author seems to prefer Christopher Pike and spends many more pages on him than my boy Stein, even going so far as to interview Pike, but I'm not here for it. Um, we close out the chapter with uh, supernatural monsters like pre-Twilight vamps and werewolves. Even the Wakefield twins had a werewolf encounter. And here's where my book abruptly ends. There's no epilogue or acknowledgments in my arc. Wait, so what is it? Where do you end with? Like, what's the last? The last line. It, shit. It's not shit. That'd be really weird. <laughs> it's, uh, forget about it, Jessica. It's Sweet Valley Town. More than anything, the SVH Wolfman arc is a tribute to how omnipresent and powerful YA horror was in the 90s. Even Stalwarts is peachy keen as Sweet Valley High wanted in on the dark brooding action. And then it just stops. Okay. I mean, you're mostly just missing the credits and the index, but you are also missing a page of extra credit reading uh, oh. where she lists some uh, citations that she suggests that people check out if you're interested in reading more like this, which I would bet you are. You'd be re betting right. <laughs> I need to buy this book for real instead of just getting it for free as an arc. Yeah. She even drops in the teen creeps when she's talking about Pike, because that's the first, like, 18 episodes that they did was on Christopher Pike novels. They're still doing Christopher Pike novels. Oh, God. It's so prolific. He has so much in his back catalog. I wonder if that's why she spent more time on him, because, like, Stein's stuff would have switched over to Goosebumps, which would have been a slightly different audience. Uh, I think he was still, um... I was buying um, Fear Street books in 97, so they were still around. Okay, so he was probably, like, alternating or something. And I was buying them, like, new at Walmart, so it's not like I was <laughs> at a used bookstore, even though I think the bulk of my childhood was spent in a used bookstore. 
There used to be a thrift store, uh, and my, uh, I mean, there still exist thrift stores, but this was a specific one that wasn't a chain, and my mom would go there and she would buy, they had just, like, random packs of books. It was just, like, six chapter books for $2 or something. Nice. So a lot of my early reading was from those. Yeah, same Z's, uh, or library. Yeah. I have, like, very vivid memories of the teen horror novels from Hoover. Sorry, I listened to this podcast called Scary Stories on the Pod that I think everyone should listen to. It's, like, two people who've been friends for, like, 13 years who are comedians who started a podcast uh, all about the Scary Stories series uh, by Alvin Schwartz with the illustrations by Stephen Gamble. Mm-hmm. And um, they do two episodes a week, and one episode is where they read a story from the scary stories and kind of react to it and unpack it and figure out what societal ills and what like subconscious fears uh, drive that story to make it what you know supposed to be scary. And then the second episode is where they talk about like an urban legend. But they do this thing every time one of them says horror. Horror is a very awkward word to say. It always sounds like you're saying whore. Yeah. So they always go like they stop and go. Hoover, <laughs> like that. So I just found myself doing that because I listened to two episodes today, and it's a good show. Please watch, watch it. Yeah, watch the podcast. Watch it with so, your ears. Watch it with your ears. I've seen the cover of I think the Dead Girlfriend, where I was like, I remember seeing that because I was spooked by the cover because this girl's face is half off. Um, page two forty seven. You get to see R. L. Stein, the Dead Girlfriend. And I, I remember seeing that when I was digging through, like, the kids' books. They were, like, in boxes, and I was, like, sitting on the floor. I don't know what I was looking for. Maybe, like, the fudge books or something. And I find that instead. I'm like, holy crap. And a lot of these that she describes as, like, the kind of the foil print covers mm-hmm. is what I remember seeing. Yeah, the, really, the, the foil yeah. typeface was, a, like, not even just for teen horror, just horror in general. They sure love making the title shiny. I would like to pull this really sad quote uh, regarding R.L. Stein. He started his writing career in the 70s, writing children's joke books under the name Jovial Bob Stein and publishing the scholastic teen humor periodical Bananas. He somewhat mournfully told the AV Club in 2013, I never wanted to be scary. I always wanted to be funny. That's so sad because, like, he was so bad at making it funny. When you When you read the books, you're like, like a joke would happen, I'd be like, that was the joke, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you ever, oh, you read Goosebumps, so maybe you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, it's been a long time, but yeah. You're, I'd be like, don't try to be funny, just make the horror happen. <laughs> but I, yeah, I read so much Fair Street, it was bananas. My group of friends was really into, it wasn't so much uh, R.L. Stein, but just teen horror from the early 90s. We were super into, and my friend Karina in particular would find um, one of these books, and she'd read it, and then we just pass it around to everybody in the group. And you, you've seen these things; they're like less than two hundred pages, so you could knock it out in an evening or evening yeah. or two, maybe. Yeah, we just pass it around to everybody in the group, and everybody would read the book. And I remember one of those being, um, it was that one, the mall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> I kind of want to read uh, the one that was covered in here, The Ghost of Graydon Place, where, like, the ghost is, like, this annoying girl who keeps whining about missing her boyfriend, and, like, the human girl's like, this is such a bummer. 
I think this has just pushed my decision to break up with my crummy boyfriend. Just, I don't want to be this ghost who just whines about it all the time. And it kind of reminded me of that comic that Kate Beaton drew of, you know, that poem, Annabelle Lee, mm-hmm. or the guy pines. Oh, the pines. one written by, uh, what's his name from Edgar Allan Poe. I was going to say the guy from, uh, Oh, by Peter Kavinsky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Co-written with Peter Kavinsky. I think we should change the name from Annabelle Lee to Lara Jean. And then Edgar Allan Poe's like, get out of my room. <laughs> <laughs> or he writes that letter like, I think you should change it to uh, Lara Jean. And then it's that reaction image of him like pulling the letter up closer to his face while scowling. Uh, that also Kate Beaton drew. But anyway, she uh, drew a comic of like, hey, what if Annabelle Lee came back and she's just as lame as he is? And then she's just like, oh, I'm dead. And he's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, doesn't miss her anymore. And he's really annoyed with her. And she, <laughs> and she's like, maybe I'll go back to my sepulcher by the sea. And he's like, I wish you would. <laughs> go read Kate Beaton's comics. They're funny. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised I didn't really read any Christopher Pike. I had a very strong negative reaction against it. I don't know why. I couldn't tell you. I think I, had one of his and i think it just sat on the shelf for a while before i consolidated so i don't think i ever read one did you ever find out that your sweetie was a vampire slash werewolf slash chupacabra slash surprisingly sexy kraken i would so be down with the kraken not even kidding because <laughs> then i i they'd get up in the morning and come out i'd go release the kraken they'd be like, it's not funny anymore mara and i'd be like it's super fun i'm sorry if i'm chewing on the microphone i'm trying to eat my dinner well, eat the dinner and not the microphone. Okay. I was doing it wrong. I was like, this feels weird, but I should just keep chewing the microphone, right? <laughs> Which book was this? I assume she's talking about the the uh, boyfriend and the girlfriend books by R.L. Stein. And she says, I won't spoil the reveal for you, but suffice it to say that a major plot point hinges on someone leaving a door open because they assumed a maid would close it for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I read that one, but I don't really remember it very well. I remember the girlfriend better, and I know I read the dead girlfriend, but I don't really remember that one as well so much as that creepy cover. I want to touch on, pretty close to the end here, we introduced the whole, the uh, the vampire diaries, and yeah. the idea that someone else took over, so the original author just wrote fan fiction ebooks? What? What is this? That is so weird. Are the fanfiction ebooks better than the printed official material? Well, so I actually looked it up, and apparently, the like she was doing the vampire diary stuff in like trilogies, and so they were gonna like move on to the next cycle, and they decided to go with a different author. So she was like, "Well, screw that. I'm gonna do my trilogy." And so she only actually released two of them, and didn't finish the third one. But if you look on the list of books that she's written, she has several other series that do that same thing. Like, her Nightworld series has a listing for book 10, Strange Fate, which is still TBA, and there hasn't been a release in the series since 1998. Um, she also has Forbidden Game series, which has three books that were published in 94, and then a fourth book that is still TBA. And then the Dark Vision series, which has three books, and then the fourth book is TBA. And then the Wild World series, which was two books and a third one TBA. And then two other, like, standalone novels that are TBA. I don't think she's ever finished a series. 
I'm starting to understand how she lost that contract. Right? right? I, like, now <laughs> I get why they changed authors. You can't keep doing that. You're not George R.R. R. Martin. But yeah, that was just a very strange idea. They've took my series away from me. I'll write official fan fiction. And then I won't finish that either. Yeah, I mean, that's about it. Did you have any other books that maybe weren't included in that, like, in the stuff that she talked about that you remember enjoying from um, your horror? Um, I already brought up that um, figure skating series. Yeah. No, she she pretty much covered it. A lot of the stuff is kind of lost in my brain to time. Yeah. Because uh, I'm a pretty frequent reader. So actually, there was this pretty awesome book that I had to I had to do a lot of googling to try and find it. But it takes place in Maine, and like these two twins that aren't identical, they're uh, fraternal boy girl twins. Uh, they're teenagers, and their family moves to Maine, and then the girl starts hanging out with like the really hot, cool guy that everybody loves, and then like all the local teens play a game in the woods called Murder, where it's like. I'll tag you and like, oh, I murdered you. Ooh, mm-hmm. and you pretend to be dead. And the cool guy ends up dead for real. So then it's a mystery of like, who killed him? Do you want to be spoiled for this book? I can't remember the title of <laughs> The book that I won't <laughs> be able to find? <laughs> yeah, it turned out that the person who killed him was the uh, the guy's sister because he'd been abusing her. I don't know if he was sexually abusing her. I think he was taking like dirty pictures of her and selling it to people. And then uh, and to make her cooperate, he'd beat her with a rubber hose, just like Bing Crosby did to his children, because you could be it hurts and it doesn't leave marks, I guess. Yeah. And, and like the main girl's brother was dating the cool guy's sister. So he knew all about the abuse. It was a very weird book. And I was like, huh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm 11. This is interesting. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's dark. I think it was called like a game called murder or playing murder or something. I think I, I think I did find it on Goodreads or, or whatever. Uh, yeah, but that was not mentioned in this book, which is too bad because I feel like Gabrielle Moss would have got a kick out of it for being so crazy sauce. Yeah. How would you rate this? I guess. Right. I haven't updated my Goodreads in a while and I need to because I just DNF'd an audio book. <sighs> so I, what'd you DNF? Uh, The Witch Elm by Tana French. Okay. There's going to be some fun tags on that, so um, I have to <laughs> take that off, and uh, then I have to assign this. I'm going to say three stars. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. It was an enjoyable voice. It was just a very surface-level, like, summary of a bunch of different things. Right. Um, It, w- it didn't really go that deep into much of the like publishing side or anything like that yeah see i thought it would so then i'm like i was like look at this like i'm summarizing a summary this feels this feels very weird (laughs) yeah um but it's definitely i i would imagine more so for you than for me but it's definitely like a trip down like memory lane yeah it's just being like i remember seeing that on the shelf or Mm -hmm. in in a box in a corner (laughs) it's just this is what the world of of teen publishing looks like before Harry Potter came along and changed everything. And I'd argue Twilight also had a hand in changing quite a bit as well. Yeah, I think Harry Potter was like, kids can do big, more complicated books, and as long as it's engaging, they'll, you know, they'll eat it up. And then Twilight was like, 
it's not just kids and teens that are reading this fiction. There's a lot of adults reading yeah. it too. And they will want to spend money. So and they will, yeah, they will spend lots of money. <laughs> so we can send out merch for all this too. So you can get the Twilight Conversation Hearts. I don't know why my ex did this, but we had like all these Twilight, or I think it was at Barnes and Noble that they had all the Conversation Hearts. And surprise, surprise, they weren't selling well. So they like heavily discounted them. And my ex bought like all of them and we opened them up. They tasted disgust, like even for conversation hearts, they were revolting. They, it was like flavors you don't typically see as like, oh, papaya and like passion fruit and like all this stuff. And I'm like eating it like, did Bella ever eat a papaya? Why is what, this papaya flavored? Why don't why, we go? Like what part of it was Twilight? Was it just the packaging? Packaging. Did it say like bite me? Packaging. Okay. It might yeah. have said bite me. I don't know. I, I can't remember. Or maybe they had like lion and lamb printed on them or something. <laughs> I I just know that we opened them once. I ate it. I'm like, this is disgusting. I'm glad you bought eight bags of these and then walked away. <laughs> this is awful. I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> Coincidentally, we were divorced like a maybe a year and a half later. <laughs> but yeah, so that was interesting. Yeah, and like, and then oh, you can make like big movies of these and. Like we can make a lot of money with like release parties and parties in the movie. I remember we went to see. It just seems like we were really into Twilight, but we really weren't. He bought all those conversation hearts for some reason, and then we went and saw. Um, oh, what was the second one called? New Moon. We saw New Moon as a midnight premiere in the theater for just for shits and giggles. We're just like, why don't we just go? Okay, yeah, let's go. So we went. Wouldn't it be crazy if we just went to a midnight release of a Twilight movie? Yeah, that'd be so crazy. That'd be so funny. What if we made out right now? (laughs) (laughs) We're already married. (laughs) (laughs) What if we just got divorced right now? Just kidding. And I like get this like shifty eye. Unless you want to. I mean, are you okay with that? Or maybe we should just go see the movie. Yeah, let's go see the movie. Uh, but anyway, we, when we went to the movie, it was this long line that stretched all over the parking lot. And I think every single screen was playing that movie. And they'd yeah. be starting at 12, 1201, 12.05. So we finally, the, the line starts moving and we get into the theater. And you know those rooms that you walk past that have like the clear glass in the theater where you see the party rooms? Yeah. There was evidence of there had been like pre-movie parties prior to the thing. So it was all like glitter everywhere and Team Jacob, Team Edward, like drawings and stuff like all over and like uh, snacks that had been like partially cleared away. And I was like, I didn't know you could party beforehand and go <laughs> see the movie. That's kind of cool because I'd gone to see Harry Potter midnight movies but they hadn't done like a Harry Potter party in the, so that's, this was a smart freaking theater to think yeah. to do that. So yeah, we didn't have anything like that when I was a child. These kids yeah. today don't know how good they have it. <laughs> you know, in regards to specifically like the Twilight movies, cause like obviously, you know, the Harry Potter movies were big and stuff, but I think Twilight was also. Like, with the Harry Potter movies, they had to create this whole world, and, you know, they they wanted to do justice to, like, you know, the creatures and all of those things. But with Twilight, they could could make bank on a fraction of the budget. 
because they're like, we just need some pretty people and a little bit of, like, glitter technology, you know? And, like, so you could have, it was closer to, like, uh, like independent-level studios could make these adaptations of teen films and, like, make back their money no problem because they did not have to spend nearly as much as, like, the big-budget franchises. Have you seen that video uh, that went viral of these people who are having, like, a movie night and they were showing Twilight and they didn't realize that there was, like, the screen they were watching on was slightly bent, so everyone's faces were contorted and caved in. So then oh. it makes the scene in the cafeteria even more hilarious when um, the character's going, yeah, and that's Edward Cullen. He's beautiful, obviously, and he's walking along with this caved-in face, and the whole audience of everyone laughing is laughing so hysterically. Like, you're all just dying. <laughs> and then, like, they flash to Bella, and she's all just chin because of how the screen. Because the 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 people had no idea their screen was that bad because they'd they'd watched like a cartoon like the day before, and it didn't have the same level of distortion. So yeah. it was their first live action thing. They're like, oh no! And no one fixed it. They just la- they were like, we were at that. It probably makes it a better movie. Yeah, the he's beautiful. Obviously, and seeing him like, ah, with this weird face. <laughs> Yeah, go look for it. It's the funniest thing. Like, I nearly peed myself laughing. Well, I think that about does it for Paperback Crush. Yeah, it's solid. It's good. I'd recommend reading it. It was a good little experiment for trying something different. Even though now I'm upset by the cover. Because on the cover you see these girls, like, sitting on a bed looking through... I guess it's a book, but it kind of looks magazine-ish because of how big the pictures are inside it. Yeah. And then I thought these were all just posters, and I realized that horse is 3D, and it's at the window just looking in at them. <laughs> it's uh, it's from, like, um, uh, from the unicorn story, where it, like, comes out of the wallpaper. <laughs> I was thinking it came at directly out of the Saddle Club, like, oh, I'm a little lost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm either from Saddle Club or Pony Pals, I'm not sure which. I was hoping one of you ladies could tell me. And then at the end of the story, Heartland, that's what I'm from. <laughs> They're all just like, well, how can we help you? And then they hear, dreams, dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, throwback to uh, a Gloria Unicorns. Go listen to that episode. We were extra salty in that episode. Gosh, that was, there was, there were some dumb stories in that. <laughs> if you want to hear about rat tails uh, and a girl that was so beautiful that you would almost not believe that she was blind right that horrible line that i read out loud to one of our mutual acquaintances and he got really angry <laughs> okay yeah uh that that does it for paperback crush uh, what are we reading next month, Joshua? I believe we are reading uh, As Brave As You by Jason Reynolds. Woo! Uh, so yeah, we're going to be taking a look at that, and uh, we're getting close to winter, and then we can finally do the sequel to uh, Small Spaces. I'm so excited, you don't even know. Dude. I'm so thrilled. It's going to be the bomb. The bomb.com? Uh, actually, .geocities.net. Oh my god, not, not an Angel Flyer page? <laughs> <laughs> I'm easiest to find through Ask Jeeves. Uh, I had a whole MySpace page just dedicated <laughs> to it. No, I never had a nice MySpace page. I skipped that and went right to Facebook. I feel like those people who didn't get a Betamax machine and got a, a VHS instead. Be like, I picked the, I backed the right horse. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Hello, fellow kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. You can visit him at benash.com. If you want to contact us, you can email at us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast and uh, also on Instagram at, was it fellow kid Mara? Yeah, I'm fellow kid Mara there. I've got two posts there. Don't want to brag. <laughs> and and like three followers, two of them are the same person. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>